Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I wanted my parents to be proud, everyone to be proud of me. So I aimed for perfection and there is no such thing. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Well, it's my great pleasure this morning to welcome to Short Black, the former CEO of incredible labels in the Australian fashion hall of fame, sports girl and Suzanne, founder of Calendar & Co, which is a mentoring program, Colleen Calendar. Colleen, given your experience in the retail space, do you think fashion is still fashionable? Yeah. Hi, Sandra. It's so wonderful to be here with you. And I love talking about fashion. It's what I've done for the last 30 years of my career. And look, I think it is still fashionable, but I also think that the world has changed dramatically. And and where there was this real dictatorship around what we had to wear and what was in fashion and what we needed to look like, I think over the last sort of decade, people have become much more comfortable with dressing the way they feel comfortable and really expressing themselves in the way that really is sort of unique to them. So as much as yes, there is a fashion trend, I think people are really happy just to be themselves and express themselves through fashion, which I think is a you know really exciting space to be. We're all dealing with the COVID pandemic and all the ramifications that that brings clearly in the retail space that's been profound. But I think when you add the layer of women's empowerment and that freedom to own your space and own who you are, you've also got this added layer where people aren't needing the clothes they once needed because they're not going to work. That's got to be having an impact not only in the retail space, but you know, in the marketing space and in the leadership space for fashion in general. Yes, look, I think you're absolutely right. I think people don't want or need as much stuff anymore. I think, you know, we've moved from this world of just needing a lot and lot, you know, lots of stuff in our life to being sort of, you know, what's really important, what's necessary and really simplifying our lives down, which has a huge ramification on so many industries. Which then leads me to say, if you're a brand that is selling to the consumer, you can't just sell them stuff. You have to sell them something much more than just the product you sell. For me, living in my sports girl CEO world and Suzanne CEO world, that was always my thinking was that it's not about just selling another piece of clothing. It's about really how do you make your customer and allow your customer to feel connected to your brand? And I really believe that the brands that do that today and in the future will be the ones that survive because people don't want just another top. They want to feel really connected to your brand. And when they do buy from you, they want to know that you understand them. You understand their fears, their frustrations, their desires, what makes them tick. That's when a brand really connects to the consumer. So what sort of impact do you think that's had on marketing in retail and fashion? Because the younger demographic, you know, they're far more conscious about globalization and the impact supply chains where clothes are being made. 
uh, that's got to have a trickle-down effect about marketing decisions and, and how you actually connect with the modern consumer who's less consumed with materialism. Yes, absolutely. That, that is so true. And I think that's where we're seeing a world where you know, young girls are happy to now rent their clothes instead of purchasing. They're happy to share. You know, a lot of young girls have got their own websites now where they're you know, either selling their clothes and renting them. So I think there is this real sort of conscious purchasing and conscious way of living. So it, it will have a, a huge ramification on the marketing decisions and the strategic decisions that organizations will make. But again, I always come back to if your consumer really believes with you and you connect with her or him on a much deeper level than just selling them something, you are going to have that consumer for a long time and they will buy from you. So yes, we are seeing a real big shift in consumer purchasing. Have you given any thought to if you were still the CEO of Suzanne and Sports Girl, what would be your current dilemma and how would you be pivoting the business? A lot of businesses have, uh, you know, really invested in their online space, which was happening before COVID, but really accelerated that through COVID. That would be definitely part of the strategy. I do believe, though, that customers still want to be in bricks and mortar. Customers still want to walk into a store and connect with people. They still want to walk in and connect with product or services or goods. So again, I would say to those organizations that really focus on making that store environment really special, impactful, memorable for the consumer, they're the ones that are going to continue to uh, grow and thrive in the future. So I think it puts pressure on you know, really making sure that this omni-channel space is working exceptionally well. But I also think it puts pressure back on the bricks and mortar to make sure that you really differentiate. Brands that differentiate now and in the future will be the ones that survive. And surely a mark of success is the digital space and being able to deliver online. And it's so easy now. So that's the wrestle, isn't it? How do you get them back inside when you've equally got to make the digital experience exceptional? I think that's so true. I think the consumer wants that digital experience to be seamless. And it is the way, you know, how quickly your package arrives, how it arrives, what does it look like? Are your fits consistent so that if you're shopping somewhere, you can buy a size 10 or a 12 or a 16, whatever size you are, and you can consistently buy your size so that your consumer knows she can buy anything and it's going to fit her. Do you have a great refund policy or return policy? So it is putting a lot of pressure on both having that online experience just as good as that uh, in-store experience. Yes, I just ordered a pair of boots and I won't say from which brand, but I got two left boots. Oh, right. Okay. So not good. But I wasn't upset with the experience because they were so responsive and the return time was excellent. Yes. Are you glad you're not in the space anymore? Do you know, I would have to say yes and no. Probably in equal measure, I would say, because I have, you know, I had 30 years in the, in the retail industry. I started on the shop floor at the age of 16 when I left school and, you know, made my career in retail and I loved every minute of it. And, uh, and I'm very proud of what I was able to achieve over those 30 years. But we all start to write new chapters. And for me, this is my new chapter. I finished in March last year as CEO after 20 years in the organization, 13 of those as CEO across Suzanne and Sports Girl. And it coincided with me turning 50. So two very big milestones in my life. And I was ready to turn that page. And I literally wrote a new chapter. I wrote my book. So, but you know, I, I love the, um, my CEO world and the fashion world. 
But I'm really, really fortunate that now in this new chapter of my life, I'm still working with so many incredible organizations and incredible women. I still feel like I'm connected in a very similar way. Someone asked me last week and said, you're a CEO for 13 years and, you know, that we know your purpose, but, you know, has that changed? What is your purpose now? You're not a CEO anymore. And I said to them, my purpose is exactly the same. It hasn't changed one bit. We actually don't get to choose or change it. You know, it is who we are. And my purpose has always been to get up every day, inspire, empower, and allow people to bring their best selves to work and create a culture and environment that allows them to do that. And in this next part of my, my world of my life and, and this next chapter I'm writing, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'm just doing it in a different way. I'm doing it via my mentoring. I'm doing it via amazing podcasts like your own. And I'm going into organizations and working with organizations on you know, how we start to build this new era of leadership and, and places where we create cultures and environments where people not only survive, but they absolutely thrive and shine. When you reflect on your journey, many would assume that the fashion world was female friendly. And yet in the executive space, the stats show that that's not necessarily the case. Can you recall any moments where it was difficult because of your gender? Do you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that I can say no to that answer. I do think Sandra, uh, you know, in a sports girl, Suzanne world particularly was very female dominated. I was at the helm for 13 years, so I created an environment that I wanted to turn up to every day and that I was proud for other people to turn up to. But I do talk about this old era of leadership, which I have seen and heard and experienced versus this new era of leadership and one that I'm very passionate about. And, you know, when I talk about that old era of leadership, I'm talking about, you know, being the boss and people doing things because you say and dictatorship and authority and you know, that is very much an old era of leadership and one that I have never, you know, haven't lived in in my 13 years of CEO. I much prefer to live in a world of kindness and authenticity and compassion and connection, which is the new era of leadership. You know, my book talks a lot about that and that's the world I want to uh, people to embrace because I think that is the future. That is the way we need to be leading and organizations that do that and leaders that do that we'll see incredible things. Well, I applaud your efforts in trying to change that paradigm, but the reality is we're living in a world of Brittany Higgins and Christine Holgate. Now, Christine Holgate was dealt with largely unfairly and has received a record payout, but with no apology. So while you're in the marketplace encouraging women to find their voice and own their space and be authentic leaders and kind leaders, which is what's necessary, how have you factored the reality of the world women currently have to survive in? How have you included that in your leadership and mentoring space? You're absolutely right. And I think probably one of the biggest things that alarmed me when I left my CEO world was this lack of confidence that women have. It was either, Sandra, I, I either created an environment that built real confidence or I had my confidence blinkers on. And I hope it was the first where I built an environment that built real confidence. But one of the things that I found starting my mentoring program and, and working with women was this real lack of confidence. So part of my job, part of your job, part of our job collectively is how do we build that confidence? You know, it is, as I said, one of the biggest challenges. It's why women stay in jobs they don't like. It's why they stay in toxic relationships. It's why they don't put their hand up for a pay rise or a promotion. And we need to 
need to together support women to build that confidence so that they can do all of those things. You know, confidence is a muscle. Confidence is not a trait. So the more we support each other in building confidence, the stronger that muscle gets. And there's lots of things that we can do to build confidence. There's little things we can do and there's things that we have to work a bit harder and longer and sort of bigger shifts we have to make. Like what? Well, we need to support each other. We need to surround ourselves with positive and, and confident people. You know, confidence is also contagious. We need to change the story. I think that's probably one of the biggest ones I would say working with women today is that we need to change this story. And, you know, as women, we have, well, not just as women, but we have this, all of these thoughts going on in our minds every day. And we have this inner critic that tells us things like we're not good enough and we're going to fail and we're underprepared and we're too fat, we're too thin, we're too big, we're too, all the, all the stories we tell ourselves. And these stories keep us stuck and they, they can deflate us and they can sabotage our success. So we need to interrupt that story and we need to take control and start creating a much more empowering story for ourselves and for each other. And when we start to change that story, we actually change our lives. So building confidence is key. So you ended your time at Sports School and Suzanne at the same time turning 15, thought I'll, I'll go off and write my book. And you have decided to launch into the mentoring and leadership space. What makes you think right now was the right time for you to seize the moment? For me, the mentoring was really a gift out of COVID. And I suppose my gift I could give as well, because I had no intention, Sandra, I was actually going to take a year off. I've been working for 30 years at a very high level, very fast pace with three children. Uh, they're not children now, they're adult children, but I was so excited to take a year off and I wanted to write my book. It's something I've always wanted to do. And for me, it was about getting my message and spreading it wider and deeper than just one organization. So I really wanted to get that message out there. The whole mentoring really came out of COVID. Women started ringing me, particularly women and some organizations, knowing that I was out of my CEO role and saying, Cole, we need help. This is happening. That's happening. I've been made redundant. My business is crap. You know, I'm not a great leader. I don't know how to lead in these tough times. So it actually came out of what I saw a necessity. And I didn't know how long I was going to do it for. I thought, we're in lockdown in Victoria. I've got some time on my hands. So what can I do with it? And it has just gained so much momentum to the point where I'm now taking it into organizations. I'm running it with teams, particularly women, but not just to women. There are men that do the Mentor Me program as well. So for me, I was really fortunate. And in 2007, I faced burnout. And many, many women that I'm working with today face burnout. So I want to help women to either not get on that train to burnout. And if they are on that train to burnout town, how do we get off it? What are the signs and how do we make change in our life so that we don't get there? So we can be the best that we can be every day in, in business and in life. And I suppose that's the thing about my book. It's not a leadership book. It is a book about becoming a leader by design in business and in life, all areas of our lives. What are those signs of approaching burnout? What should we look out for? It's really interesting because a lot of people think burnout is when you can't get out of bed, that you just have got nothing left in, in your tank and you're spent, the flat line. And it's just not, burnout doesn't come in one shape or size. It can be feeling exhausted. It can be, I've just got this constant lack of energy. It can be, I've got this fog in my head all the time. I've got sleep disorder. I can't make decisions. So we need to recognize some of those signs and start to add, change or delete something from our life to actually make sure that we don't get on that train to burnout. It's really, really, really important for women. 
you know, when I faced burnout in 2007, I had to change my life. I described myself as this red Ferrari and I had three young children. I had a three-year-old, a a nine-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I was general manager of Sports Girl at the time. And, you know, I'm a very all or nothing personality and I have a huge capacity and I'm just go. I was born a red Ferrari is, is the way I describe it. But this red Ferrari had never stopped. She'd never pulled into the pits. She hadn't put air in her tire. She didn't put any fuel in the tank. She just wanted to go faster and faster and faster and win every race. It was always on the pedal. So my burnout was also a gift and one where it allowed me to stop, take time out and reassess the way I wanted to live my life. And, you know, I got myself a coach, which is why I'm passionate about coaching women today. I learned to put boundaries in place. I had no boundaries, none. When I say I had no boundaries, I mean zero boundaries. I was a complete workaholic. I had to learn how to say no. I had to learn how to put a turn off my office sign. And I had to embrace self-care. And again, that was something I didn't know how to do. And particularly as women, we don't do that. We don't put ourselves first. In fact, we often think it's selfish if we do that. So, you know, I was that person. So I changed my life. I started to live a life of self-care. It was hard and it's still hard today because I'm still that red Ferrari. I haven't changed the make or model. I just have to drive her differently today. But I had to put things in place. I had to do all of those things. And I put in 45 to thrive, which I write about in my book. And, uh, and I work with women on that is we have to find 45 minutes in our day for us. And that can be anything you like. That can be sitting, having your cup of coffee and enjoying every single sip of it without doing emails or looking at your phone, by the way. It can be going for a walk with your dog. It can be taking a bath. It can be doing whatever you like, but finding 45 minutes in your day will help you thrive. I promise you. It it changes your life. It fuels your tank. What is your 45 minutes? What's your secret to your me time? Yeah, my me time is to walk. So I'm very fortunate that I live near the beach. I'm about two minutes from the beach. So I walk every single morning whether it be rain, hail or shine. And I do more than 45 minutes, by the way, because I get up early. I go at 6 or 6.30, so my day has to start like that. And, you know, I talk about these bookends of our day. The way we start and finish our day is really important to how we set up our day and how we have a great night's sleep and do it all again tomorrow. So it's really important. I also have an 80-20 rule. I'm not a fan of work-life balance. I think that's absolute rubbish, in fact. I'm more a fan of life imbalance. I had to learn that the hard way by hitting burnout, but my life today, I live an 80-20 rule and it doesn't work out like that every day, by the way, but that's my absolute goal is to live a life of 80-20. What does that mean? So 80% of my life has to be in balance and 20% of my life can be chaos and I love the chaos as well. I think that sounds very real. Yeah. I've always had an 80-20 rule when it comes to, I hate the word diet, but, you know, my consumption Mm -hmm. because I think you can be good 80% of the time, but, you know, ahead of all of us. And at some point you could be run over by a bus. So I'm going to enjoy that chocolate. I'm going to have that champagne because I don't really care as long as I'm good most of the time. (laughs) Oh, that is, Sandra, that is 100%. And that is the the life imbalance rule, you know, and and I apply the 80-20 rule to pretty much everything I do in my life, exactly what you're saying. So I love to have a glass of wine. I love to enjoy a champagne with, you know, my girlfriends, all of those things. I love a bit of chocolate. You know, I don't deprive myself from any of that, but you know, the 80-20 rule is try and have 80% of your life in balance and the other 20%, let it be chaotic and let it go with the flow. And because chaos also brings new thinking and innovation and excitement and resilience to our lives. So we don't need to be perfect and don't try because we're just going to continue. I wanted to be perfect. I was a people pleaser from the minute I think I was born. 
And, you know, when, when we're people pleasers, it works out for everyone else. It doesn't work out so well for ourselves. And I wanted to be perfect. I wanted my parents to be proud, everyone to be proud of me. So I aimed for perfection and there is no such thing. So find the balance that works for you. When my balance tips, I know I need to add change or delete something to get that back in balance. So it's a really great way. And it's the way I've lived my life for a very long time now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Colleen, I know your current journey is all about the book and your mentoring and leadership series, and I applaud you for all of that. But I can't have you as the former CEO of Sports Girl on Short Black without talking about just the mention of Sports Girl was just a childhood sort of giggle moment, you know? I mean, I remember saving up with my twin sister and going to Sports Girl and begging my mother to be able to buy these two tops, and we bought them identically different colours or whatever. The brand Sports Girl is so strong in the Australian fashion sort of lexicon. Do you think it has the same strength in its future? I think brands, um, so to, to your, yes, Sports Girl is an incredible iconic brand and one that we have all grown up with. And I love the thing about Sports Girl is it is multi-generational. So my daughter loved it when I was there. You know, my mum loved it. My, it. We have all had a connection to both Sports Girl and Suzanne, I think, at some point in our life. So, yes both incredible iconic brands. And I feel very blessed and, and very grateful that I got to sit at the helm of that for seven years. And, and I love the brand. Is it the same in the future? I don't think anything's the same in the future, Sandra. I think brands are really going to have to reinvent. They're really going to have to think about the way they do things. They're really going to have to think about not only the way they connect with their customer, but the way they connect with their people internally. I don't think anything is the same. Um, and I don't think it was the same pre-COVID or post-COVID. I know COVID's made a lot of change to the way we think about things. But I have said to people, if you were a really crap leader before COVID and a crap brand before COVID, you're going to be crap after COVID as well. If you're a great brand before COVID and a, a great, um, great leader before COVID, you are going to get stronger through this process because you have great solid foundations to navigate through these challenging and uncertain times. As leaders, there's one thing that is certain. We are going to have uncertain times all the time. So the great leaders prepare for that. So I don't think anything's going to be the same from here on in. And the brands that really recognize that will survive. I was thinking on my walk this morning, could I ever envisage a day when Sports Girl changed its logo? Can you? No, I can't. But I also think that's the power of a brand. Um, I think, and I always said, if you took the Sports Girl logo off those stripes, you would still know it's Sports Girl. And I would always say to my team, if those stripes came alive, what would that look like? Because that's your DNA. That's who you are as a brand. That's what you represent. It's the same with Nike. 
If you take the word away, you still know the tick is Nike. It's the same with Apple. So the brands that you really connect with are the ones that have built something more than just the name they have. And I think that's really the power of great brands. In your role as the CEO, you had to manage predominantly women, I suspect, young women. Mm -hmm, That's right. What were the biggest challenges employing young women? Um, Well, one thing is Sports Girl never had a problem recruiting great talent because people want to work for great brands. So I think I was pretty fortunate in that space is that we had people knocking at our door. The flip side of that is people didn't often leave because they love the brand. And as I said, I created a place um, with my executive team that people wanted to come to every day, where people felt part of something bigger than just the seat they sat in, where, where people really connected with the brand. And so, you know, that was, that was really, really important to me was to, to really create that place where people wanted to be and, and felt connected. Well, to do that, you have to ensure that staff feel valued and also there's an integrity and an authenticity in the leadership team. You often talk about needing kindness and I wonder if people confuse that, you know, with some sort of softness Mm -hmm. where I see it and um, I guess the question is, do you agree? It's so important in leadership now to empower your staff and to encourage loyalty. There has to be a give and take and a 50-50 buy-in from management and staff. Is that where you think kindness has its role? Absolutely, I would agree. And I, I, kindness is something I love talking about. But you're right, a lot of people think it's fluffy, it's, it's soft, it's gooey. And, you know, kindness isn't the first word that comes to mind when you think about great leadership or when people think about great leadership in, in general. It's, it's definitely the way I've lived my leadership life is putting kindness at the center of everything I do. And I strongly believe that kindness is going to separate good leaders from great leaders of the future. And I also believe, Sandra, that kindness is the new superpower for leaders. And as you just said, kindness is a new form of currency. It's one we can trade for loyalty and commitment and trust and high performance. And it's been one of my values. It is one of my values today. But I always clarify when I talk about kindness because people think she must be a pushover. And that's what a lot of people would think if, if any leader was talking about kindness. You don't stay in a CEO role for 13 years if you're not a high performer. Life doesn't work that way. But I always have to clarify is that kindness doesn't mean people can fly under the radar. It doesn't mean people are not accountable. It doesn't mean people could be underperformers or there are no boundaries or rules. Of course. Great leaders make sure all of those things are in place. But what kindness does mean is that we set clear expectations for people, is that we hold people accountable, that we give them honest feedback, that we encourage growth and high performance. And it's about pushing people beyond their comfort zone and building real human connections. Kindness is not a weakness. As kind leaders, we are very capable of making good and strong decisions in business and in life. And we can do that with kindness. Kindness is super courageous. In the most recent Edelman survey, it said that most employees choose their employers if they see a values alignment. And when you're talking about kindness, I wonder if you're seeing that more broadly in in the people you're talking to. 
They need to believe that the company they work for shares their values. Otherwise, it's a dead end. Mm, That's so true. And I think values is something when I work with leaders, I start with three foundations and I call it the foundations of the house. That is really around self, values and purpose. And values are really critical. And, and Sandra, you, you might, may or may not be alarmed that often I'm working with people that don't know their values and they're running organizations. And our values are so important, not just for ourselves, but the way we lead others. And our values are, are around, you know, our inner compass. What, how do we make decisions? You know, what, what is right and what is wrong? And so, yeah, bringing it back to values is, is super important. You talk about those statistics and today only 15% of people get up every day and go to work and are engaged with their jobs. That is a crazy number that has not changed for probably the past 20 years, 15% of people. Imagine if we build a world where people felt connected, where they felt like they could contribute, where they felt like, as I said, they're bigger than just the seat they sit in. Imagine what happens then. And I promise you, I've seen it. That's when the magic starts to happen. In the leadership space then, when you're going into companies and in this COVID world, how have you seen the leadership conversation and communication change? It's a really great one. And I think it's challenged a lot of leaders over the last 18 months, you know, not have being in that physical space. But again, if I go pre-COVID, those leaders that had built those strong foundations of values, self and purpose have got a very strong foundation to move forward. So they are the ones that will continue to, as I said, grow and thrive and shine. And the ones that didn't have those there, some of the ones I'm working with on, let's get those foundations solid before we build the house because that house is not going to survive that. Ex- those external factors, which are some of the ones we're seeing now, cracks will appear. Uh, it's not going to look pretty if we haven't got those foundations right. So it actually doesn't really matter on your leadership journey where you are. I always start there. And as you said, people choose, I I would always start my meetings with my team in head office and by saying, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for choosing to work for Sports Girl, but more importantly, thank you for choosing to work for me because people choose to work for a leader. People don't leave bad companies. People leave bad leaders. Wow. That's so true. Mm. This is a relatively new journey for you, you know, given your 30 years in the retail executive leadership space, and you're being asked by companies to come in and guide them. And you don't need to name names, but I'm wondering if you've, you know, walked in the front door and realized the values, you know, are cockeyed and they haven't enunciated them and there isn't an authenticity in leadership and there isn't kindness, there's no moral compass. What do you do? What have you done? Have you been presented with that dilemma? Yes. Well, I actually haven't, as you said, I never talk about clients or organizations, but yes, I I have walked into places where I think, wow, we got a lot of work to do here. And again, I strip it right back. You know, let's get right. I talk about the babushka doll. Let's keep opening that babushka doll up till we get right to the center and let's start there because we've got a lot of work to do. But the thing is that people need to be willing to change. So if I was working with a leader and they did not want to change, which is unlikely because they wouldn't have asked me to come and work with them in the first place, but we we need to want to change. We need to recognize that things aren't going so well. So most of the people I work with are very open to change and open to setting those great foundations and open to thinking about a new era of leadership, which is, as I said, one with kindness and compassion and humility and one where it puts people at the heart of everything we do business strategies, marketing campaigns, 
um, innovation, that doesn't happen on its own. That happens with great people. So I work with leaders on really building that culture and environment that allows people to do those great things. There's a lot of wisdom that you bring to the table, given your experience in the retail space. But, uh, you know, this personal pivot in your own life and career has opened up, surely, some wonderful new doors. You must be pretty thrilled with how it's all going. I am. You know, I, I'm, I'm super excited and I, I'm very passionate, as you can probably tell, about what I talk about and what I do. I'm <laughs> so passionate about leadership. I'm so passionate about us leading in our own lives before we can be leading anyone else. And I'm very passionate about changing and adding people to that 20% club that I've been in for a very long time. You know, less than 20% of women hold CEO roles in this country today. And that's a number that very much excites me that I've been a part of that, you know, very exciting, wonderful journey. But it's also uh, a statistic that saddens me very much and one that I'm committed to changing little by little, person by person so that we can really create this future world for young women and women to to really, uh, you know, take some of those roles and those leadership roles. But I'm super excited. I'm loving life. I'm loving every day. So I really just want to get out there and, as I said, spread my message wider and broader and ingrain it so that we can really create this wonderful world of leadership and leading in our own lives, particularly for women. But at a macro level, what needs to change to give more women a chance? Because, you know, in your 30 years, you still, as you ended your career, the stats were about 12%, which is still shocking, appalling. Mm -hmm. So what, in your view, at a management level, what macros need to change so that more women have more opportunity? We have to sort of break the cycle because as as humans, we navigate to like-minded humans. We recruit like-minded humans, which is where we've had this world of men recruiting men for a very long time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying we need more women than men. I'm saying both men and women bring very different attributes and skills and styles to the table. And we need a balance of both of those, whatever that looks like. So we need to break that cycle. And the more women we can empower and inspire to put their hand up, ask for that promotion put themselves forward, have a voice, the more we can build on that platform, the more women we are going to have going into leadership roles, wherever that leadership journey starts for them. We will then start to recruit like-minded people. We will start to bring people like that have the same values, that have the same similar purpose and want to see change in the world. You know, women are changing the world every day. So we need more women to get on that bandwagon, but it starts with confidence. To do that, Colleen, you you do need to encourage employers to start implementing paid maternity and paternity leave. Are are they they, some of the measures that you made sure were underway at sports school before you left to make sure that uh, women's journeys, whatever they are, weren't seen as a deterrent to their opportunity? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I wanted women to go and have their babies and come back to work. Why would we want to lose all of that knowledge Uh, from our workforce, you know, so flexibility, creating environments where women had that choice to adapt their working week so that it worked for their children. You know, most of my executive team would leave the office at three o'clock on a Friday to go and pick their kids up, you know, and I think that if we can show other women that the leadership team can do it, then why isn't it okay for them? You know, we need to make change because change has a ripple effect. And when we start to do that, that can cascade through the whole organisation and then into other organisations. So, yes, absolutely, that's so true. 
Well, I hope so many people decide to pick up your book, Leader by Design, and and explore more of the pearls of your wisdom and and really enjoy the book as much as I have, uh, Colleen. So thank you so much for spending some time with us here at Short Black. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cosy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewellery, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.